Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia. On this Tuesday, we got the week off to a great start. It's a beautiful day here in Burbank, California. I hope you're having a fabulous time wherever you are, my international friends. And of course, this is the show where I like to just take the topics, opinions, and questions that you guys send in to me about everything going on in the world of entertainment. And before we get into it too much, I want to just remind you that if you want to get your topic or your opinion or your question to me, it's easy. Just email me anytime at the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. And also make sure you're following me on social media. Follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at John Campia because every once in a while I call for questions and topics and everything from there as well. So just make sure you keep on top of the ball to make sure you're always in the loop of what's going on with me here. All right. Now, before we get into the topics, opinions, and questions that you guys sent in, Yesterday, word came out, of course, that MGM has announced the release date for the brand new James Bond film, and it's November 2019. I believe it might have even specifically been November 8th. I think that's the case. At any rate, so that's what's coming out. However, they didn't announce who the distributor of the film was going to be, which is a big question mark right now. They didn't announce who the director of the film is going to be, and they didn't announce who the star of the film was going to be. Now, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not Daniel Craig was coming back. If you follow my channel, you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, I mentioned that there are reports coming out that Daniel Craig and the producers of Bond have reached an agreement. Well, yesterday, the New York Times put out an article that basically says it's a done deal. They haven't announced it yet, but Daniel Craig is returning as Bond, that it's a done deal, that him and the producers have reached terms. Now, whether or not this happened a couple of weeks ago, like the initial reports that I heard, or whether or not this happened just recently, doesn't really matter. The only important thing is here, does Daniel Craig return as Bond? I mentioned it before. I'll say it again. He's my favorite Bond of all time because he's that mix between the Roger Moore Bond and the Sean Connery Bond, who are the two most iconic Bonds, of course. So I really love the news. I, I really hope this turns out to be 100% factual. I hope they make an announcement soon, and I'll be looking forward to a new Bond movie. All right, guys. Well, with that out of the way, let's get into some of your stuff. All right. The first question today, talking a little bit of Defenders, comes to us from The Canon, who writes, Can you talk a little about your expectations for The Defenders? I know it might be crazy to say, but I came away more impressed with The Defenders trailer than anything else at Comic-Con. I wasn't a fan of Iron Fist or Luke Cage, but there is something to be said about a team-up of fully fleshed-out characters over multiple seasons. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for the question. Let's start with my expectations for the Defenders. My shine and my glow and my, you know, pretty much pedestal excitement of the Netflix Marvel series, you know, with the, of course, season one and two of Daredevil, uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. The shine and the honeymoon phase for me and the Netflix Marvel shows is over. Um, not that my love for the shows is dead, not at all. But it used to be, especially thanks to Daredevil season one and season two, that when a new season of one of these Netflix shows, the Marvel-specific Netflix shows was coming up, I was just going out of my mind excited. It's like, oh my God, I can't wait counting down the minutes and counting down the days until the show comes out. Love Daredevil season one. Love Daredevil season two. Uh, and I'm one of those guys. I did not like Jessica Jones. Um, I get it. I understood what they were going for. And what they were going for in the show was bold 
and new and brave. And there were topics and themes in that series, in that season, that I think took a lot of guts to even try to approach and to tackle and to do. You're talking about a superhero who's also very much a victim and dealing with that stuff to find her power within that. I don't mean superpower. I mean her individual power within that. What they were going for was fantastic. I just don't think they executed And I found myself bored throughout most of the season. And I also found that by the time we got to the end of the season and that last scene, I don't want to go too much into Jessica Jones, but that last scene where Jessica Jones is now sitting in her office again, taking calls and you realize she hasn't changed. Like through all this traumatic, amazing, powerful experiences that she's gone through this season, that last scene of season one of Jessica Jones it was the exact same Jessica Jones back in the exact same place with the exact same attitudes that she seemed to have at the beginning of the show. And and that kind of put me off a little bit. With Luke Cage, I loved the first four episodes of Luke Cage, five episodes of Luke Cage. And then it just kind of became a completely different show after that. And it lost me. It completely lost me. Like if I had just abandoned Luke Cage after watching the first half of the season, I would be thinking that Luke Cage season one was, it was almost on par with Daredevil, but it kind of fell apart. And then, oh my God, Iron Fist. There's so much promise in Iron Fist, so much you could do with Iron Fist. And that was probably my biggest disappointment uh, of the Netflix series. So, you know, it's to the point now that I'm not, I'm going to admit, I'm not super excited for Defenders because my enthusiasm has been chipped away at lately. Now, really glad that Daredevil's going to be back there. That gives me a lot of optimism and hope because they know how to clearly, they know how to write the Daredevil character. Uh, I think there's a lot of things you can do with Luke Cage. I think there's a lot of cool things you can do with Jessica Jones. There's a lot of cool things you can do with Iron Fist. Like I said, though, I am not really finding myself beside myself being stoked about it. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to watch it the moment it drops on Netflix. I'm just saying I'm not jumping up and down like I used to be about these series. Now, as far as the trailer that they played at Comic-Con, it's a good trailer. It's a good trailer. I don't know that I personally agree with you about it being the most impressive thing. Like for me, the most impressive thing at Comic-Con this year was the Justice League trailer. And uh, and I know a lot of Marvel hardcores don't like hearing me say that. Like, how can you say that when they played that Infinity War thing? Oh, I thought it was better than the Infinity War thing. The Infinity War thing was good. It was really good, actually. I was very excited to see it. Um, but the the trailer for the Defenders is sharp. It's very good. You're right. It plays in that notion that these are now fully developed characters that we're seeing come together. There's some very cool stuff in there. I like seeing Stick in there. Elektra's back. We're seeing side characters as well from all the different shows show up in there as well, showing their relevance. And I think that's very good. So I'm looking forward to the show. And I did think the trailer was very good. The trailer did a good job. The trailer increased my enthusiasm for Defenders, because it was getting kind of low, but it renewed a lot of my enthusiasm for it. So yeah, looking forward to seeing it. All right, thanks a lot for the question. The next question today comes to us from Frank Johnston, who writes, After the Infinity War movies, do you see the MCU taking a break for a year or two? I'm wondering if after a massive payoff, after 10 years of movies, if they take a break in order to stop potential fatigue. I don't believe comic book fatigue is out there yet, but as you said, as you said many times, or do you think the MCU will keep rolling? No chance. <clears throat> no chance the MCU takes a year off. 
that would be, people would lose their jobs. Kevin Feige would be fired immediately from Disney if he went to Disney. If he went to Bob Iger and you go, hey, Bob Iger's gonna be stepping down soon. But if, if Kevin Feige went to Bob Iger or or Alan Horn or something like that, uh, I'm not even sure if Alan Horn's there. So anyway, and said, I'm gonna take a year off making these movies, these money printing movies that we're doing three of a year now that just make us billions of dollars. I'm gonna take a year off. I say, really? No, you're taking more than a year off, Kevin. Get on over to Wendy's and start flipping burgers, son. Um, and they would just initially get, they just get rid of them. There's no way they take a year off. This stuff is printing money and they have far too many characters. It's not like it's just Iron Man, right? And it's not like all the movies have just been about Iron Man and everything's been the folks of Iron Man and blah, blah, blah. And maybe you need a break from Iron Man. And we've seen them take a break from Captain America. We've seen them take a break from Iron Man. It would be different if that's the case. But the fact of the matter is you've got all these characters and all these storylines and there's just too many stories to tell. And again, with the fatigue question, again, I'm going to say this. Did you watch Breaking Bad? Did you like it? Because that was what, 10, 12 episodes a season? You watched 12 episodes, 12 Breaking Bad stories every single year. And I've had some people say to me, John, that's not a good analogy. Can't compare that to, yes, you can. Yes, you absolutely freaking can. Because we're talking about, as an audience member, getting tired of a story. Well, guess what? When Dexter was on and in its heyday, I would watch basically six movies worth, you know, 12 episodes, six movies worth every single year. And then I'd watch six movies worth of Dexter the next year. And then I'd watch six movies worth of Dexter again the next year. And did I get fatigued? No, people are watching The Flash. People love The Flash. I love The Flash on TV. That's like 22 episodes a season, dude. 22 episodes. That's like 11 full movies per year just of The Flash. And people seem to watch that. It's been going now for three seasons, going into season four, or is it going to season three? Whatever. Arrow's going into season five or season six or whatever that's at now. I mean, don't, this whole notion of fatigue, really? You've watched one comic book movie on average every three months. One movie every three months. You know, if an average of four or five comic book movies come out a year. So every two to three months. So no, I I don't believe this whole fatigue nonsense. I don't. As long as the movies are good, it's going to keep trucking. When the movies start to take a turn south and start, you get a number of films in a row coming out that are bad, it's going to go south. That's what will do it. It's not going to be fatigue. As long as they're going to make good, audiences don't get fatigued of good movies. Audiences don't get bored of good movies. So as long as they keep making them good, as long as they keep making them fresh, as long as they keep making them original, Marvel's going to keep going. And from a business point of view, no way they take a year off. There's no need for it. It would cost them tons of money to do it. They'd be basically throwing $2 billion. They took a year off, given up on three movies. They're basically throwing $2 billion just out the window burning it. I mean, there's no point in doing that. So no, I don't think they're going to take a year off. Not, not at all. Thanks a lot for the question, man. Next question comes to us from Robert Kessler, who writes, with the success of the Simpsons movie a decade or so ago, why hasn't there ever been a family guy movie? This could be a good way uh, to bring Seth MacFarlane back to the big screen. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Seth MacFarlane. I, I'm, I'm not so big of a fan of his when he puts himself in the leading role in his stuff. Like, for example, uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. I think that movie wasn't as bad as people made it out to be, but I think it would have been a lot better if he didn't put himself in the lead role. 
And now he's got this Galaxy Quest Star Trek kind of show coming out um, on, I believe it's on Fox. And I, I admit the trailer I thought looked cute and looked funny and I'm looking forward to it, but I'm still kind of wishing that he didn't put himself in the lead. I know Dennis Zen and I would, we, Dennis Zen and I, we're, we would talk about Seth MacFarlane all the time. I don't know why. We're both kind of obsessed with Seth MacFarlane. We really like his comedy. We think he's brilliant. But whenever we would talk about him, it would also be in terms of, man, I just wish he didn't put himself in the lead because it kind of diminishes it. It's not that great. Well, anyway, talking about a potential Family Guy movie, <clears throat> it's important to remember that back when the Simpsons movie came out, uh, I never pronounced his last name right, but Matt Groening, is that the guy, the creator of Simpsons? Anyway, he was saying, never again. I am never doing another movie while the show is still on TV. He said it just about killed them. Uh, and, and so they got that Simpsons movie out and it took them a while to do it. And then once they finished, I remember lots of interviews, him saying, uh-uh, not, never going to happen again. The next time there's a Simpsons movie, it's going to be after the Simpsons TV show is done. That's when I'll do a Simpsons movie again. We cannot do both at the same time. And I remember Seth MacFarlane was very adamant. There was just a couple of years ago. I remember we would talk about it on, uh, on Movie Talk. He was adamant that he was going to do a, a Family Guy movie. He already had the plans. It was going to be rated R and all those kind of plans. And that just kind of disappeared. And I have a feeling that with all the other stuff he's got going on as writer and producer, not just he's got several TV shows going that he oversees and all that kind of stuff. I think the reality of Matt Groening's situation just caught up to him and realized, can't do it. As long as Family Guy is on TV, I can't do it. It's just not feasible. It's not plausible to do it. It's just too much work to do at the same time. So uh, I think we will get a Family Guy movie. I'm looking forward to a Family Guy movie. I love Family Guy, but I don't think it's going to be until after Family Guy finishes its TV run. All right. Thanks a lot for the question, man. All right. The next question comes to us from Topher Dahl, who writes, prior to Comic-Con, we heard rumors from sites normally known as reliable that the Justice League reshoots would take months and would be considerable, but we learned at the panel that they were brief and almost completed. What are your thoughts on this now uh, that we know that Whedon's role seems to be accenting the film Snyder made rather than remaking it? Thanks a lot for the question, Topher. Um, okay, so let's go into this. First of all, Variety uh, just put out a report yesterday talking about how extensive the reshoots are. They were originally planned for five weeks. They've already gone into eight weeks and they're going longer and they're having a nightmare scheduling everybody and blah, 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 blah. But here's the bigger kind of issue at hand. It amazes me still to this day, no matter how many times it happens that studios, and remember, I don't blame studios for this. Not all studios are doing their job. They're doing, if I was in their position, I'd be doing the same thing. This is not throwing anybody on the bus. This is not casting shade. The studios are doing their jobs, but it never ceases to amaze me that no matter how many times, how many dozens of times every year, over and over and over and over again, we find out that what the PR from a studio was, wasn't actually the truth. It was something else. So for example, I'll just throw out some examples here. Okay. So I remember, you know, back in the day, uh, talking to, well, let, actually that's a little bit too old of an example. Let's move forward a little bit. So just a couple of years ago, okay, Infamous, some questions came out about the new Star Trek movie. Hey, and they would talk to the studio execs and they talk to the studio people. Hey, is Ben a Cumberbatch? Uh, is he playing Khan? No, 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 no. We got JJ's got a fresh new villain coming from the new Star Trek film. And then they talked to JJ himself. Hey, JJ, is uh, Ben Cumberbatch playing uh, Khan? No, no. He's he, We got this new character we've developed, and he is definitely not Khan. 
guess who Benedict Cumberbatch was? Now, we can talk about the motivation for why they did it and wanted to preserve the excitement or they wanted to preserve, preserve a perception of the movie, whatever. The point was, though, that the studio PR machine, and that includes the filmmakers themselves, want to put out a particular message. And they want a message to get out there, whether it's true or not, because they're trying to control, as they should, they're trying to control the narrative of their movie prior to their movie coming out. That's their job. That's what they do. So there's an example of that. I remember back when they announced that they were doing a Fifty Shades of Grey movie, right? Remember that? Do you guys remember who the first person cast was, huh? In the role of uh, whatever the guy's name is, but the role of uh, Damien Gray, is that his name? And Dominic, whatever. The the lead character. You remember who was cast? It was Sons of Anarchy's Charlie Hunnam. He was the first guy cast. And it wasn't, they were looking at it. It was cast. It was announced. Charlie Hunnam joins, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, blah, 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 blah. And then like two or three months later, the official press statement came out. Oh, unfortunately, Charlie Hunnam had to step away due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, he was some delays and now shooting Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't line up with his schedule. Remember that? It was all BS. A few months after that, Charlie Hunnam came out and admitted, no, nah, man, Charlie Hunnam said, my fans were furious at me for going into a Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades of Grey fans were furious that they cast me. They didn't see it. And there was a huge uproar and then a lot of behind the scenes drama, people arguing, fighting, and ultimately we just decided, let's just not do it. So the studio put out the message, oh, everything's good. No, we love, we love Charlie. We want Charlie to be Dorian Gray or whatever his name is. We want him to be our great. Charlie Hunnam's people are like, oh man, I was so looking forward to doing Fifty Shades of Grey, but scheduling conflicts. And he stepped out. And later we found out that there was BS. It was because there was a lot of drama going on behind the scenes with fans in an uproar. Both Charlie Hunnam's fans didn't want him in Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades of Grey fans didn't want Charlie Hunnam. And it just finally all fell apart. But the job of the studio is to spin it and to paint a narrative for the audience. And they went with the tried and true scheduling conflicts uh, notion. Uh, more recently, <clears throat> back in December, and I've talked about this a lot, but back in December, there a report came out that, hey, it looks like uh, Ben Affleck is not going to be directing the Batman movie after all. But Affleck's not directing the Batman movie. Uh, and these were the reports that were going out. <clears throat> So then in January, just a few weeks later, studio puts out a thing, Ben Affleck's our director. And then Ben Affleck gets on Jimmy Kimmel, remember this? And Jimmy Kimmel straight up asks him, hey, so are you still directing Batman? And Ben Affleck, yes, I'm directing Batman, working on it right now. It's my next movie, blah, 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 blah. Great. So everybody's like, see, he's directing Batman. Just a few days later, out comes the story, Ben Affleck not directing Batman. Look, and there's nothing, I'm not, again, there's nothing wrong with them doing that. There is nothing wrong with the studio or talent or filmmakers controlling the narrative and wanting to be, you know, be behind the wheel of controlling the narrative and the message of what's going on with their movie. They don't want people talking negatively. They don't want all that kind of stuff. So when I see things like The Hollywood Reporter or Variety who have like Pulitzer Prize and Peabody winning journalists on their staffs. I mean, these aren't some dinky blogs like the blog I used to run or whatever. These aren't some dinky websites. These are real journalistic integrity kind of major outlets. So when Variety puts out a report and says, uh, no, these, they're, the studio execs are having nightmares with this. 
It's gone. Not that the movie's bad. They're not saying the movie's bad. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. They're just simply saying scheduling has been a nightmare and it's taken a lot longer and blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. That's not a negative thing necessarily. Look at World War Z. They had to scrap that whole movie, basically started again from scratch and the movie turned out great as a result. So hearing about scheduling nightmares, that's not a bad thing. Okay. Just don't take that as negative. But you've got Variety saying, no, uh, they've already gone well over the five weeks. They're having major problems with the scheduling. The reshoots have been more extensive than originally thought. And I don't know why people are upset about that. Like, who cares if the reshoots are more extensive than originally thought? Who cares? All that matters is, is the end result a better movie? That's all it means. All it means, when I hear that reshoots have been more extensive than originally thought, all that means to me is, hey, they found a way to make the movie even better and they're committed to spending the money and spend the time and go through the scheduling nightmare to make it even better for the fans. But like some DC fans, man, they lose their freaking minds if you say, oh, the reshoots are going longer. You hate DC! And they, and they just lose their mind. Why are you freaking out about that? Reshoots can be a very, look at, freaking look at World War Z. Reshoots can be a super good thing. What it means is that the studio, and this is exactly what you want to hear if you're a fan, that Warner Brothers isn't just looking at the movie and going, bah, good enough. No, it means Warner, if they're going through super extensive reshoots and it's taking longer than they thought and they're going through all these scheduling nightmares, to me that says Warner Brothers is really committed to making sure they give the fans the movie they deserve. And if that means we got to spend 25 million extra dollars, then fuck it. We're going to spend 25 million extra dollars. If that means we got to go through all these scheduling nightmares, screw it. We're going to go through all the scheduling nightmares. If that means we have to reshoot for nine weeks instead of five, you know what? To hell with it. We're going to reshoot for nine weeks. Why? Because our fans deserve the best movie we can give them. And it is boggling my mind that some people take that as a negative. It boggles my mind. Anyway, so the point here simply is not that we shouldn't believe studio PR because a lot, the majority of the time when the studio PR machine says something, the majority of the time, that's what it is. You know, if they say white is white and black is black and purple is purple, that's generally what it is. The point here is simply this though. Don't be so blind. We have seen too many hundred. I remember it was just a couple months ago, me, Jeremy Johns, Chris Stuckman, we all went out and had lunch. And this whole topic came up. We were at uh, Wood Ranch here in Burbank. And this whole topic came up about all the different times that studios have misled the press and the public. Understandably so. And it's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times every single year. So the point is not to disbelieve the PR machine, but it's to also not automatically just accept what they say when you have outlets like Variety Magazine or The Hollywood Reporter or things like that telling you something else. All I'm saying is don't instantly believe it, don't instantly not believe it, <clears throat> but just take both into consideration that, hey, it could just be this or it could be something else. And just keep that in mind for whenever you're looking at stuff. Anyway, that, that's my approach and my feelings on that. Thanks a lot for the question, man. All right, the next question today comes to us from Kalis Menon, who writes, what are the chances that we see that we will see a movie adaptation of the play Harry Potter and the Cursed Child? The play has been a hit since its release. A year ago, there were rumors from Warner Brothers about the possibility of a movie being made after the Fantastic Beast series ends. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a Harry Potter guy. 
Now, I watched the movies. I didn't like the first couple of them, but I really got into them after number like four and onwards, and I started to enjoy them. I've never read the books, and I've certainly never read The Cursed Child or seen them play The Cursed Child. I'm not a, uh, what do the Harry Potter fans call themselves? Potterheads? Is that, I, I'm not sure. Just correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm not a, a really plugged into the Harry Potter uh, world, but I am married to somebody who really is, and I'm friends with a bunch of people who are. And all I can tell you is what my limited scope of experience has been, okay? This is my small, limited scope. And my small, limited scope has been talking to the friends that I have who are Potterheads. Uh, not that thrilled with The Cursed Child. Uh, I remember my wife, like, she was so excited. She got the book and then she had a, a long flight. She was gone for a couple of weeks for work for Hasbro. And so she read the book on the flight there and back and she was, meh. I, I mean, so uh, there you go. So... I don't know that they'll be rushing to make more Harry Potter. And I don't know that like at this point that you'd be able to get, you know, uh, Emma or uh, Daniel or Rupert. Uh, Rupert no, isn't doing a ton. So, but I don't know that you can get them all back now at this point because uh, if finally Ratcliffe's career is starting to take a turn upwards, finally it took a while. Emma's career took a massive upturn immediately and she's a hot commodity right now. I mean, she's the star of one of the biggest hits of the year in Beauty and the Beast. So that's, so that's going to be more difficult. Plus, I don't think the story, from what I'm understanding, from my limited circle, maybe your circle have all loved Cursed Child. That's great. I'm just telling you my limited exposure to it. Hasn't been that great. So, um, no, I don't think so. I'm not saying I don't think they'll ever go back to Harry Potter. But I just don't know that Cursed Child would be the one that they do. Uh, I'm just questioning that at this point. So who knows, though? I mean, very well could because it's, it's out there. All right. And the last question of the day comes to us from Madoka... Abrea, who writes, A few years back, we had Les Miserables, which was good, but a lot of the singing was mediocre compared to professional and experienced Broadway actors. Do you think Broadway actors or regular actors should star in these adaptations of musicals into movies? No, uh, Madoka, Les Mis wasn't good. Les Mis was awesome. I'll film a subjective. Your opinion isn't right or wrong. My opinion isn't right or wrong. I'm just gonna, I'm just joking. I'm just playing with you. But no, Les Mis was awesome. It wasn't good. It was awesome. I love that movie. And look, here's the reality. The reality is that most people don't go to Broadway musicals. Broadway musicals has a thriving, vibrant uh, fan base and following. Absolutely. But compared to the larger movie-going audience, a, it's a relatively small percentage of people who actually go out to Broadway musicals, right? So when the average film fan who doesn't normally go to Broadway musicals walks into, say, Les, Les Mis, and hears Anne Hathaway singing I Dreamed a Dream, or hearing Hugh Jackman singing the, the, all the songs that he sang, to them, that was world-class, man. I mean, that was just outstanding. Standing to them. They're not comparing it to the Broadway singers who are probably, since that's all they do is sing, 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 they are better than the Hollywood actors are at singing. So the majority of the audience isn't going in comparing Hugh Jackman singing. Hugh Jackman was terrific. And Hugh Jackman was a stage singer and performer, by the way. But anyway, you know, they're hearing Hugh Jackman just sing awesome. They're hearing Anne Hathaway crush Dream a Dream. I mean, that one song won her an Academy Award. Well-deserved, by the way. Like, I was shaken and moved by her performance in that. So they're not necessarily comparing it to the performances of the Broadway performers, who are obviously better singers. These Hollywood actors, obviously better on-camera actors. These Broadway performers, obviously better at singing and better at stage acting. 
most cases anyway. I'm sure there are exceptions to both. Absolutely. And you also got to keep in mind that when you're then marketing the film to a broader audience, you need to put in some names. It's not that you can't have some no names in there. Absolutely, you can. But you need to at least have some names to hook in the audience. So you got to have a Russell Crowe. You got to have an Anne Hathaway. You got to have a Hugh Jackman or yada, yada, on and on and on. So I think really the answer is a blend of both. I think the answer lies in have a couple of key roles filled by more popular names who are really damn good at singing. And then fill a bunch of the supporting roles and one or two key roles with Broadway performers who can really bring that musical punch. And I think that's probably the answer. I, if, if I had the total formula, I would be a billionaire Hollywood producer and I'm clearly not. So, uh, so yeah, but yeah, honestly, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. The answer is pepper in a couple of the lead roles with big Hollywood performers, pepper in the supporting roles and a couple of the lead roles with Broadway performers. And that gives you the best of both worlds. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of my John Canby podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Listen, don't forget the best way I found to really make a difference in the world, to make the world a better place for somebody. I found this great app called Share the Meal. And I know all of us, you, me, all of us, deep down, we really want to be a hero. We want to make the world a better place for somebody. Share the Meal is a super easy app to use. You just install it and get it set up. And once it's set up, all you got to do is anytime you want to pull it out of your pocket and hit the share the meal button and that automatically donates $3.50 or a different amount if you want, but $3.50 feeds a kid for a week. I've always thought that we as the film fan community cannot just mobilize to make the film fan community a better place, but we can mobilize to make the world a better place. So I want to encourage all of you, iOS, Android, store, whatever, Go try, share the meal. I think you'll get addicted to it. I've kind of got addicted to it and it'll make you feel like a million bucks. Anyway, guys, also don't forget, since you're here, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you like my videos, share them around, post them on your Facebook page or on your Twitter. And by the way, speaking of Facebook and Twitter, make sure you're following me on social media, uh, John Campia on Facebook and Twitter, just that simple. Thanks a lot for joining me, guys. My name is John Campia and until next time, bye-bye.